hope to hear my conversation with our CIO, Wesley Marks. We talk all about the recent OPEC plus cut. We also talk what impacts that's going to have on central bank actions, as well as what it might mean for the S&P 500. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investment Podcast. My name is Matthew Schneer, and I'm delighted to be back with our CIO of Equities, Leslie Marks. Leslie, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here, Matt, once again. Let's jump right into it. We have uh, quite a few topics to, to touch on this week uh, with uh, markets being, well, what's going on in markets? Uh, but let's start uh, with uh, the recent uh, OPEC plus decision over the weekend. Uh, the Saudis have stated that they're going to cut back a million uh, barrels per day uh, in uh, July. What do you take on that? Well, it does sound like it was a real heated negotiation over the weekend with the OPEC Plus members. And you're right, the Saudis agreed to cut their production by 1 million barrels of oil equivalent per day. And I think the other important piece of information from that news was that the Saudi energy minister said he will do whatever is necessary to bring stability to this market. Um, As you know, energy prices have been on a downtrend since June of last year. So basically over the last 12 months, down over 40% year over year. Now, of course, we know energy uh, spiked up um, in in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And so, but even before uh, that time period, prices are down uh, 20% year over year. So I think what's really important to take away from this event is that this is almost drawing a line in, in the sand and potentially a floor to energy prices around that $70 level. And so energy has been extremely out of favor over the last six months. And um, this could make, um, you know, it could be a, a, a bit of a bounce here for the energy sector um, for the next little while if people feel like energy or oil prices have stopped going down. Right. Um, and uh, we'll get to this uh, through the conversation, but it clearly has implications on inflation, uh, Fed decisions, that type of thing. Before we jump uh, right into the Fed, love to get your take on uh, on Friday's uh, U.S. Uh, May payroll report. Um, clearly, markets like what they saw Friday was a, a quite a strong update. Uh, based on that, and then perhaps some of the debt uh, ceiling negotiations uh, concluding. Um, but uh, what's your view on that U.S. Uh, payroll number? Uh, it feels like good news is now good news again. Uh, so, how do you think that that uh, that was meted by the mar- markets, and why? That's right, Matt. And you know, we're just not accustomed to good news being good news. So it's right. it's giving everybody a little bit of, of discomfort. Um, the May payroll number came in at three hundred thirty nine thousand, which is a massive number, and uh, well ahead of forecasts for um, at least the last year. Um, the payroll reports have been coming in ahead of forecast. And what's so astounding about that number is that the forecast was for only one hundred ninety five thousand, 
and there were upward revisions for the previous two months. So I always like to double click on uh, information like that when something is so surprising, whether it's to the upside or, or the downside. And when you look into that jobs report, I think it won't it won't actually surprise people that most of the additional demand is in the services sector. I mean, that's where we're really seeing um, continued uh, upward in wage inflation, continued demand for services, particularly in healthcare, education, leisure, hospitality, um, sectors that were particularly hit hard during uh, the pandemic. So those sectors added almost half of the new jobs in May. But there was another piece of information that came out, which I think is probably confusing for many, which is the household survey, which showed a very different story with the unemployment um, rate increasing to 3.7%. And this number includes uh, the self-employed, which is not included in the payroll survey, which was so strong. Um, The other thing that we saw uh, last week was an increase in um, uh, job openings. That's also quite bullish and that number had been trending lower for the last few months. So I'd say on balance, balance a, a little bit mixed, but generally uh, quite um, bullish when it comes to thinking about, are we headed into an economic slowdown? Like we just don't have a lot of data that supports that thesis. Great. I think of both the last two conversations or topics of conversation, I think the clear trend line to that uh, is through to inflation. Uh, where uh, if uh, if oil prices are um, intended to be a little higher, uh, and we see no signs of uh, the wages uh, or uh, or unemployment increasing, or, or aside from that small uh, self-employed uh, number, but for the most part, very uh, very strong data coming out of that. Uh, the Fed has been very public that they're going to use data as their guide on interest rate decisions. Uh, so with all that in mind, uh, what do you think uh, the Fed is uh, likely to do on the next meeting on uh, June 14th? So one piece of data I actually didn't mention was that there was a slowing in average hourly earnings growth. And so mm. although average hourly earnings growth is still positive, um, at least we, we've seen a slowing. So the upward pressure on wages exists, but the second derivative is, is starting to slow, which is, is a good thing. Um, the Fed is also going to have the CPI, the next CPI data report for May, right. which will be reported on June 13th. The Fed will be making their decision on June 14th. So that should also help to assess and guide their decision. Um, but the markets are really uh, pricing in a very low chance that the Fed hikes in June um, and a very high chance that they hike in July. And so this is where the, the difference between um, a pause in the narrative versus a skip. And what we've seen recently is Fed governors using the language or the word skip, which is very important because skip really implies that June will not see a Fed rate increase, but we most likely will in July. All in all, we're, we're, we're certainly entering a period of greater uncertainty when it comes to policy. And um, I think that we'll see greater volatility around the Fed meetings as policy is transitioning from one directional, if you will, to potential for three directions, right? Rise, mm. pause, and the, the least likely is, is, is a cut. And we've virtually priced out the probability of a rate cut for uh, 2023 because of, you know, taking back to my previous comments, the surprising um, resiliency we've seen in the economy. Um, on May 19th, um, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell even said that having come this far, we can afford to look at the data and the evolving outlook to make careful assessments. So he's almost setting everybody up to say that um, 
they they just want more data before making decisions and they feel like they've they've done a lot already so i think that that also sets up everyone for the skip in in the policy no matter what we see on um the june 13th cpi data interesting uh in that and uh i guess the what's your degree of confidence that you actually get the rate increase in july is it really contingent on the cpi numbers um, and, uh, you know, if they're off meaningfully, do you still expect that skip to be very likely or, or is it, is it, is July in play at this point? So I think that if you were just looking at the data, it would probably imply an increase is necessary in July. But if you wanted to be forward looking and you're thinking about things like availability of credit and financial conditions, and, you know, right. we just saw this morning in the Wall Street Journal talk of, a potential 20% capital increase requirement for banks with over a hundred billion dollars in assets, like things like that um, would cause the fed to think that under all normal conditions that could have an impact, a slowing impact on the economy. So, um, you know, it really depends if the fed wants to be backward looking, which is the data comment or more forward looking, which you know we've seen more so from the Bank of Canada, which is an anticipation of a slowdown because of tighter financial conditions. Right. Uh, well, let's move on to Bank of Canada because I'd love your view on that. Uh, hard to characterize uh, the Bank of Canada as skip at this point in time uh, since they've been uh, flat for the last uh, number of meetings. Um, what's your view on on Bank of Canada? Are they able to maintain interest rates where they are? Uh, we've we similarly had some uh, upbeat uh, data recently. Um, or, or do you expect uh, more hikes in the future? So I think the Bank of Canada, uh, to your point, who has been on a firm pause since January, is going to have a little bit harder of a time um, holding on to that uh, policy decision. And um, I think for this week, um, because there's really been no sort of hint to change in policy and they don't like to surprise, um, they will um, probably continue with uh, the pause. But what I would expect is that the language will indicate more of a hawkish pause. Mm. So indicating that uh, we may need to increase rates a, a little more firmly. I mean, they always sort of caution to that extent in, in every rate decision, but um, at, at the next meeting, uh, potentially. So opening the door to uh, a little more firmly, if you will, um, to rate increases at uh, future meetings. And certainly um, the futures markets are showing an indication that the likelihood of future rate increases and uh, the Canadian dollar as, as well, which has, has firmed. And so if we heard more definitive language that the Bank of Canada isn't planning to increase rates into the future. Um, you could see some weakness in in the Canadian dollar. But to your point, we've seen upside surprises in GDP and employment. And um, um, that has certainly challenged the convention that Canada is a rate-sensitive economy because um, other than house prices, which even house prices have firmed, yeah. we haven't seen any major impact from this immense upside in, in interest rates over the last um, 12 months or so. And I'm curious on that major impact. I mean, it sort of defies logic. Uh, if, you, if you had asked anybody a year ago if uh, an extra four to 500 basis points of interest rates would cause uh, an economy to, to weaken, I think everybody would have said yeah, very obviously yes. Um, 
Do you think it's just a matter of time with this elevated interest rate that we start to see things crack? Or can we actually see an engineering of a soft landing that uh, very few people had predicted, but perhaps it's, it's upon us? Well, it's true. You know, as critical as people like to be around um, central bankers, uh, so far, they have orchestrated something that um, historically would have been viewed as impossible, which is basically almost a record setting rate of interest rate increases. And we haven't seen a crash in in the housing market. Now, we should um, caveat that with we have seen uh, price declines year over year. But Um, what's been unique and really holding in the housing market, both in Canada and south of the border in the U.S., has been a supply issue. And with immigration, particularly in Canada, um, we still have a shortage in supply. And so even though houses are more expensive or the cost to finance a house is more expensive, um, demand is still there because we have a growing population. So there's been some other factors that have made uh, things unique over the last uh, year, but um, that has certainly surprised most uh, to the upside. And if you go through um, the uh, monetary policy report from the Bank of Canada, it was certainly seemed to me that housing was the major concern that caused the bank to go on hold in the first place in January. And so the last two months, we've seen affirming in housing prices. This is not what uh, Tiff Macklem, you know, has expected to, to see. Sure. And it's certainly not what, what he wants um, from, from a policy perspective. So that also brings to the forefront the potential for um, a, a rate increase. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this and thinking if there is a change in policy by the Bank of Canada away from the pause to another rate increase, this could cause a lot of concern around, you know, where do we go from here? Like, does that change this comfort that maybe has crept into the housing market over the last two months of, okay, we've readjusted, prices have adjusted, and we know what rates are going to be. And this is this is peak rates here. And so the trajectory into the future is lower. I don't think we can say that today. And I don't think that is, is the case from here. Perfect. Maybe turning back to equity markets uh, in general and sort of Reflecting on your comments and then trying to trying to put in uh, sort of the uh, the equity markets geographically and um, I think we're halfway through the year. S and P five hundred has uh, topped the leaderboard uh, year year to date um, with uh, commodity um, uh, and, and uh, commodity focused economies being the weakest. Um, what do you think about the second half of the year? I mean, with given the OPEC uh, cuts and hopefully supportive on commodity prices. Uh, and certainly, um, the S&P has had just a tremendous run. What's your view on the second half of the year? Well, I think that most of our listeners know what's been really driving uh, the markets. We've had seven stocks that have accounted for 90% of the return of the S&P 500. We've right. had, um, you know, Canadian stocks haven't been as strong, but certainly the top performing sector has been technology as well. And the rest, if you, if you just talk about the S&P 500 for a moment, the other 493 stocks are basically flat. And so outside of investing in those seven stocks, it hasn't been a great year for stocks. Um, but of course, you know, looking at market headlines, that sounds crazy. So is this sustainable? And, you know, this group trades for 
an average of something like a 30 times multiple. So extremely high multiple, it drags up the multiple of the S&P. So there's probably decent value in some of the other 493 stocks. The right. problem is that, um, and this goes back to the sustainability question, is that uh, when you have seven stocks driving the market, it's not a very healthy market, but it means that the majority of active managers are underperforming the index likely because <clears throat> they're unlikely to be overweight, the big heavyweights in the market. And so that is driving some fund flows in the direction towards those seven stocks as people get themselves positioned. The other thing is, I mean, these seven stocks are they're real businesses with real earnings, real cash flow, sure. high return on uh, invested capital, and lots of excess cash. So they don't need um, a healthy market or economy to function and continue to thrive. So from a fundamental basis, when people are looking at, you know, the economy is challenged, I want to go to the safer places of cash flow, of quality, of high ROE or high return on invested capital names. Those seven are really, they're the ones. So there's a lot of things or factors or fundamentals that will continue to support uh, those names and potentially the headline of um, the market. Are, are we anticipating that market performance is going to start to broaden out to the other 493 stocks? It's hard to make the case uh, for that. We've had a very narrow driven uh, rally that started out based on the view that interest rates were going to fall in right. early parts of this year and then turned into this tsunami of, um, of a trend related to artificial intelligence. And we do think that that is a real fundamental boost for many companies. And, you know, you're going to have winners and losers, as you always do, in um, a mega trend like that. But we really believe that it's an important fundamental shift. And I think, you know, we saw a similar uh, environment in 1999 as well. And so this is this is where we're at with um, markets. So we think that there could be some sustainability in that headline uh, NASDAQ trend. Um, but we think that there still continues to be headwinds for the more cyclical parts of, of the market. Things like financial sector, some industrials, um, consumer discretionary continues to benefit from strong labor. But if we saw weakness in the labor market, that area could uh, struggle as well. So just uh, maybe a follow-up question on that. Uh, the seven stocks that are leading the way forward, um, I, I guess uh, what, what's interesting is uh, the interest rate um, outlook has shifted from uh, one where uh, cuts were being heavily priced into the back half of this year. Uh, that's moved out a little bit. Uh, perhaps the cuts, uh, I'm not sure if the overall yield curve has shifted up a little bit uh, on the, the longer term side. But I'm curious, um, interest rates being what impacted uh, these sort of companies before, why isn't it impacting them again? I mean, they're raising despite the, the re-rating of interest rates. I think the interest rate piece um, has been dwarfed now by the AI trend. And so what started out as a lower interest rate factor um, is, is not dominating performance of these stocks. And you're right, higher interest rates should mean that on a discounted cash flow basis for companies that have earnings far into the future, then... Um, they should trade at lower multiples today. 
in the case of the big seven that are moving, these are earnings now stories. These are not speculative. We don't have visibility on the earnings. I mean, these are the apples of the world, you know, NVIDIA, um, Google. Um, so, you know, when you think about cash flow now, um, that's less of a factor. They, they really got sort of swept up in that interest rate trend. But when you take a step back and look at how these companies earn today um, compared to what their earnings potential is. So, for example, when NVIDIA reported their earnings and the stock moved up 20% um, that, the ne- that evening and, and the next day, um, based on the guidance that they were giving for uh, revenue and earnings, the right. stock was actually no more expensive because it was such an ups- a huge upside surprise um, based on what their expectations are for demand for their chips. Interesting. You referenced 99 in your previous comments, but it sounds like in this case, um, we're not nearly as bubbly, <laughs> call it, as uh, we were back in 99 with, with companies actually generating cash flow. And then if you're saying um, earnings have resulted in market shift up, fair to say that things are more appropriately priced than they were historically, not to say they can't go down. <laughs> well, there, there's a bubble somewhere all the time, right? So sure. so in this case, sure, like there, there are bubbly things um, happening with uh, sort of the, the follow-ons, um, you know, companies that utilize, you know, there, there's been talk about companies and when they report their earnings, the number of times AI is included in yes. their, um, um, their earnings call. And so for sure, but in the, that top, that group of seven companies, you know, Microsoft, another example, um, there is a legitimate business case here. Um, driving extra extra demand that on January 1st of this year was not anticipated in the trajectory for these companies. So not to say there aren't probably lots of pockets around the market, usually happens in the smaller cap uh, space where you have, and and you've seen this in in any major uh, trend in in markets, whether it was the dot-com boom, um, cannabis, the internet, um, a- a- any of these uh, major trends where you have you end up with a few survivors at sort of the top of the pyramid. Right. What's different about this time is we know who the dominant players are going to be. They're already at the top of the market cap pyramid today. Right. Well, uh, thanks very much for that color. Let's go on there. This was uh, delightful. I appreciate the insights on the markets as well as central bank activities. Thanks so much for, for being on the podcast. Well, great to be here and talk about all these exciting things happening. It's uh, never a double, Matt. That's the truth. Thanks again. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fun facts and prospectus before investing. 
The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.